Hello, Gap Year Universe. I'm Julia Rogers. And I'm Margot Brookfield. Welcome to Gap Year Radio, the show that brings you information and inspiration to plan a life-changing Gap Year adventure. And welcome to season five of Gap Year Radio. Um, I'd say it's hard to believe, but now that we're in season five, we're pretty much seasoned Gap Year and radio host professionals, <laughs> right, Margot? <laughs> Basically, I think you could call us that. <laughs> I know the past five seasons have just blown by, it feels like. Yeah, and it's fall, so we're in uh, pumpkin spice latte season and also back to school season. But for many gap year students, it is not back to school season, in fact. Uh, for very many, many, many students, it is not back to school season, right, Margs? Or it looks really different than maybe a lot of us anticipated. But I think that what we're seeing is so many people taking advantage of a maybe different path than they anticipated and what that could present for them this year. Yes, and it's really interesting. We don't exactly know the numbers of people taking what we would define as a gap year, but I have seen a couple reports, you know, for example, from a college like Yale. Yale typically has about 21 students who defer admission for a gap year of their incoming freshmen. This year, they have like 324 students deferring their admission. So, uh, and that's not going to be the case at every school, but we are seeing similar numbers at some of these schools where you do not want to necessarily pay for an online education and the campus experience is a big part of the, the education that you're getting. So it's just really, really interesting what we're seeing. Yes. And I know, especially in the past um, in the past month or so, or just later to the game, a lot of schools are, are finding that they're needing to go online that maybe hadn't anticipated they were going to do so ahead of time. And it has been cool to see. I think it sounds like a lot of schools are being pretty flexible with students and allowing them to defer for a semester or a year, um, you know, understanding that online learning does not work for everyone. Or yes, as you mentioned, Julia, that the campus experience is such a big part of this. But um, a lot of them are making late calls and, and leaving students kind of scrambling, okay, what am I going to do now? Or hopefully seeing it as an opportunity of what do I get to do now? <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd be so surprised. A lot of students that I'm seeing. So every time a school announces that they go remote, a bunch of gap year counselors get calls. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when I talk to a lot of these students who are late to the game and deciding to take a gap year, a lot of them tell me, I always wanted to take a gap year but I wasn't planning on it. And so it's it's almost like this situation has given them permission to do something that they've always wanted to do. Um, as a program provider, you know, how how are you guys thinking about this this crazy year? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it has certainly been an, an abnormal year. Um, and I think exactly what you just said though, Julia, as I've interviewed so many students who are doing our program this fall, because we interview them all over, you know, Zoom and, it's been interesting because almost all of them, I'm like, were you considering a gap year? Was it pre-COVID? Is this because of COVID that you are taking gap time? And almost all of them were like, I've been thinking about this for years, but then was like, oh, I don't want to be behind my peers or this or that, whatever reason that students end up deciding not to take gap time. And then they were like, COVID was just what the push I needed to make the decision. And so that has certainly been cool to see. But I mean, we are we have just been inundated as I think so many gap year providers have been that have been able to run programs this year. I know that many have not been able to, and, and it's, you know, it's obviously a hard time for so many different um, educational institutions or gap year programs, but yeah, we've just been inundated with calls and inquiries and um, you know, we are, we are gearing up for our largest fall cohort ever. And so that is exciting. And um, it's just interesting to see how many students are taking gap time. Yeah. And to be clear, you know, ARC is running all domestic programs for this fall. So that is one of the reasons why you guys are finding, your guys are creating protocols around 
you know, COVID friendly gap year programs as a lot of uh, a lot of other gap year programs are able to do. Um, there are a couple programs that are running internationally as well. And we're also seeing a lot of gap year students doing things like uh, taking road trips and doing very independent things, uh, working, doing uh, fellowships and internships, uh, AmeriCorps programs. I, have a, I know a lot of students are working on the campaign, so there's so, so much variety still and so many opportunities still to be had this year, even when the field might seem a little bit limited at first glance. I think it's also just a really op- a unique opportunity. Obviously, there's a lot going on in our country right now um, mm. on, on all fronts, and I do think it's a really unique opportunity to really stay local and focus in on our own country and things that are happening here and giving back within our own country. And, um, you know, I think this is a really crucial time and it's it's just cool to see students who are, you know, choosing to explore a part of, of our country that they haven't before. There's so many beautiful and amazing things to experience here in the United States. And, um, you know, obviously, I, I'm not sure, you know, nothing compares to traveling internationally and pushing yourself in that realm, but I think that there is certainly a lot of really unique things to be done here this year for gappers so well said and i think that one of the things i'm excited about for this season of gap year radio is that we're going to be bringing in a whole new slew of new voices who've done a variety of things we're going to we're going to showcase people who've stayed in the states as well as gone abroad uh new voices that you'll be hearing throughout the season so um marco why don't you tell us about our first voice absolutely so today you are going to hear from college success expert Katie Oliveira, who is the host of the podcast College Hood Advice. On her podcast, uh, Katie interviews experts about a range of topics like how to ace a job interview, how to build healthy habits, and how to stay productive in college. So Katie also coaches students on how to thrive in their college years. Yeah, I I don't know if you've checked out Katie's podcast, but you definitely should. Um, It's definitely geared to students. So if you're a listener of the podcast and you're a gap year student, uh, definitely subscribe to College Hood Advice because she brings on a lot of really great people to give very applicable advice. It's one of the things I really like about her podcast. Uh, it's very, very good advice for young people, uh, specifically about, you know, different topics uh, for students to help them succeed in their college years, which are not always as easy and carefree as they might seem. Um, and so, so Katie, um, you know, we wanted to bring her on the show to talk about how to leverage your gap year to increase your college success because that's really her realm of expertise and she's going to tell us a little bit about the skills that you should build on your gap year to be successful in college so that's what we're going to talk about um, in this episode and i think it's going to be really useful for all the gap year students out there who are doing such a wide variety of things that are all kind of going to be able to build these skills in different ways Absolutely. I think this is so relevant right now. And students out there that are interested in listening, um, her podcast, if you look at her website, there's quotes of students who've listened that it basically says, you know, this is exactly the advice I needed to hear. It feels like she was just talking to me. You know, it it does sound like she obviously has so much experience and a lot of relevant insights to share for students. So really excited to hear from her today and to just hear what all she has to share with our listeners. Awesome. Well, let's get started. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So, you know, this year we know we're seeing an unprecedented number. uh Uh-oh, put put a dime in the unprecedented jar. Number of students taking a gap year (laughs) this year. And, you know, we wanted to bring you on the show so that you, because you are a college success expert, we wanted to have you kind of tell us a little bit more about what you see as 
the building blocks to a successful college career and how someone can practice those on their gap year to kind of then make themselves that much more productive and thriving once they get to college. So, you know, to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast and just, you know, a little bit about who you are. Sure. So um, I'm Katie Oliveira. And I have helped college students for a little over 15 years in a couple of different ways. So I started my professional experience working with students. I ran a program of mentors that helped commuter students at the University of Houston connect to the campus. And I taught some you know, transition to college classes. And I learned at the time I was in grad school to become a, a history professor. And I learned that I really liked helping students figure out how to succeed at college. When I went to college, and I think that this is true now as well, I found that most of the support for college students happens in the admissions process, that we kind of front load all of this support and help and pressure and tools and counseling and all this stuff to get students into college. And that once they get to college, there's sort of this assumption that they have what they need to succeed. So now you're colleging because you got in. That's all you need. And over time, universities have become better and better and better at providing support for students. And they offer you know, advisors and tutoring and mentoring and all kinds of programming to help students. But for the most part, a lot of that programming, because the resources of, of a school are limited, are focused at those students who are most at risk or those students who are highest flying. Because from the perspective of a university, those are the students who are most likely to either drop out of college or transfer to a different college. And so I found in my own experience as a college student, which I thought was just my own experience. And also as an advisor, that students who are kind of in the middle don't get a lot of development support during the college experience. So if you are not on fire, you're a B student, C student even, you've got a major on the pa- on paper at least, and you're kind of going through the motions and kind of passively moseying your way through the college experience, then you're not going to have too much intervention from a university unless you seek it and you advocate for yourself. But I found that most students really do need that coaching, that support, that development to really make the most of the experience. There was a Gallup poll that I went to a conference and I heard a Gallup poll that said 75% of students felt like they had left most of the investment of college on the table, the things that they really needed to launch into their professional career, they had actually left them on the table. So things like, you know, getting your doing projects that are meaningful, getting internships that are meaningful, building relationships with mentors, that those were the kinds of things that really mattered and that those were the kinds of things that most students fail to do during the college experience. And I think that happens because unless you're super intentional, you don't know to do them. You don't know that you need to do more than just pick the right major, make okay grades and, you know, go to the football games or the parties or study abroad or whatever, that you have to do some development work. And so if you aren't aware of that, you may leave those things on the table. And that just made me nuts. So I decided that I was going to provide a resource for students in the middle 
who want to get the most out of this experience, who want to use it as a launch pad for life that's meaningful to them, who want to use it to hone their superpowers and craft a life that they actually love, not just use it to kind of go through the motions and then graduate at 25, 22, 30, whatever age it is and be like, what, what did I just do? I'm still confused. So the podcast is College Hood Advice, and we talk on three or five topics, um, time management, academic strategies, and picking a major, which are kind of the classic three, academic support three. But we also talk about things like mindset and uh, connecting to your purpose and taking care of yourself and wellness and taking advantage of opportunity and, and how to navigate that and all sorts of things. Because what I've learned is, If you are whole, if you don't have purpose, if you're not sure why you're there, if you don't have a North Star you're kind of working towards, then I can talk to you about study strategies and time management until I'm blue in the face, and it's not going to make a difference. What really matters, what you got to have in place is that sense of purpose, sense of of hope and grit and, 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 you know, a strong why, and then we can start to work on strategies to level up your game and help you work your edge. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. And I think that that almost what you do is the perfect bridge, you know, no pun intended, from gap year students to, you know, the college world, because I think that a lot of students discover those reasons for why they want to go to college on their gap year and they're still building out that skill set. And then they're you, then they need to kind of translate their newfound purpose to their college environment. So it seems like a lot of what you cover on the podcast is is um, going to be relevant for every college student. But I think that uh, gap year students will definitely get a lot out of it, too. So we'll talk about where to find you um, at the end of the episode. But for now, I'm kind of curious, you know, um, we obviously talk a lot about experiential education on the podcast, and that's um, the focus of our our guests and some of our other kind of expert speakers. So I am kind of curious, you know, did you have you had any gap year type experiences in your background that can include like study abroad or basically like what was the most formative out of the classroom kind of experience that you've had as an educational journey? Yeah, I did. So my I didn't do a gap year, although I'm a really big advocate and I tell my my family, and my husband all the time. Oh, my kids, I will strongly encourage gap year um, and people find that funny well, don't you advocate for college? Well, absolutely. But I think gap year is a way on the on the journey to college. It's not an alternative. I mean, it can be, but it's not, doesn't mean you're not going. It's a way to explore and grow yourself. And I think that's really what college is about too. And so the more clarity you have about who you are, I think the more you can get out of the experience. Um, and so I think for me, the most transformative thing that I did was study abroad. You know, I am one of these kids that was a box checker. I did all the things right. I was student class president and I was sixth in my class and I was the editor of the yearbook and I, you know, went to college and I was pre-med, although that wasn't for me and I changed my major a whole bunch and then I graduated and I went to grad school, you know, and I then was kind of lost, like, now what? What what am I doing? I just was kind of following the formula and, and now I don't like what I'm studied and I don't know who I am. And so I think taking experiences is really important because that's really where you start to open up your world where meaning is made and where opportunities that you didn't even know were possible happen because a lot of what we decide we want to do is colored by kind of what we're exposed to the jobs that we mm-hmm. think are realistic and 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 accessible to us are informed by the jobs we are 
are seeing modeled and the people around us. And so for me, the most transformative thing I did was study abroad. I went to a study abroad experience in Maastricht, the Netherlands, because for some reason, from the time I was a really small child, I was going to go and live in Holland. I have no idea where this originated from. (laughs) (laughs) I can have no idea, but I just like, I don't know, something about wooden shoes and windmills caught my imagination as a child. And I was going to go there. And that held with me all the way through college, which I think is kind of funny. And at the time, I was actually a pre-med student, and this was an experience that was exclusively for pre-med students from my university, which was Baylor University in Texas. And I went on this, and just like a month before, I quit pre-med, and I was kind of in in the midst of an identity crisis because... If you're pre-med, a lot of times you're pre-med for a while. People, you know, what are you going to be? You're a doctor and you get that praise. Ooh, you're going to be a doctor. And you're like, ooh, this is one of those things that's impressive to people. I'm going with it, right? And then you find yourself like, I can't be in the lab without passing out. I'm not going to be a doctor, you know? Right, yeah. (laughs) Right? And they're like, oh, crap. My whole identity has been built on being pre-med. I got in here because I was pre-med. I got scholarships because I was pre-med. I'm going on this study abroad trip because I'm pre-med. But now I'm not pre-med. Who am I? Ah, and it was actually great. I was able to negotiate. And here's advocating for yourself. So I went to the advisor and I was like, look, I'm not pre-med anymore, but I I really want to go on the trip. And here's how I see this being useful. And I'd actually come up with a plan. Like I was going to do independent study classes. I had actually already done the work to talk to the professors I needed to, to arrange that, to show that I could make it happen before I even asked. And I went to the professor with a plan and he let me go and it was great. I did, uh, I did an art history class where I was able to actually go see the art. I did a, a Latin I was taking Latin. I was a class changed from pre-med to classics in history. So I took history Uh-oh. classes. What did, what did your parents have to say about that? So, yeah, <laughs> right? My parents, luckily for me, are not college educated. And they were just happy I was at college. And they did not care or really know or understand the system. And so I just skated right by. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And so I was lucky in that way. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to explore what I love and what matters to me. And I'm so glad I did. And honestly, and I I faced it all, right? What are you going to do with that? How are you going to make money? What are you going to, you know? And the thing is, is that I'll tell you, I am so glad that I did this because I got so much out of it. I got to go to and see the art. I got to go to the Colosseum and learn about the Roman history. I got to, you know, I got to go and see it all. And I was the only one on my trip. And so while my, you know, my classmates were studying uh, genealogy and things like this, I was learned my, my classroom was my study abroad trip. And so it was really magical and really cool. And I don't do those things now. I'm not a classics professor. Um, and I do, I am, I do have a master's in history and I have taught, but I use the context, the culture, the ability to write, the ability to research, the ability to kind of connect the dots. I use those skills every single day and I hone those skills by going and living the history and then taking those things that I learned about myself, feeling like this is so fun and so magical and I love this so much and taking that with me. I had the opportunity uh, maybe five or six years ago to actually go back to Maastricht as a higher ed professional, back to the University of Maastricht to go to a, a conference for academic support advisors and coaches and present 
on on supporting international students. And so I came full circle and it was still magical. Even when I went back, it was still magical. And I, I could really see, man, it's amazing. Sometimes when you have an experience, you might think you know what you're going to get out of it, but what you truly get out of it may not show itself for like 10 or 20 years down the road. It's kind of funny. Oh, definitely. Well, I mean, I think, and one, I love asking this question of people. And a lot of times at cocktail parties, we go down big rabbit holes when people find out what I do. And I, and then they want to talk to me about their study abroad or their gap year. And I love hearing those stories because people come alive when they talk about those experiences. Um, because I think that it is, it's, it is about, you know, learning through experience and, and following that those curiosities and also the magic of, of experiencing something that's kind of like outside of the norm, um, which people get to do on those kinds of things. So that's that's really neat. Um, as a as like an English major, I also had to deal a little bit with like the what are you going to do with that? And then my mom found some stat about how many, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs were English majors. And she would like throw that back at it, people when they would give her a hard time about her daughter being an English major. Um, now I'm an now I'm a business owner. So it all worked out. Um, but in any case, um, I, I totally get that. I think that there's so many skills that you gain no matter what your major is that are um, that are going to lend you a, a hand in your in your work life. But um, that's actually a perfect segue because, you know, we've we've talked a little bit, the two of us, about co- a student success in relation to taking a gap year. And uh, I wanted you to break down for us kind of those those three buckets of skill set that you can build on a gap year that will then help make you more successful in college. Yeah, and there are three skills that research is bearing out that are essential to college success, and none of them are tested by the SAT or ACT. So, um, and they are grit and hope, which I lump together as one skill, uh, project or task management, and self advocacy. So, grit and hope is it's the ability to persevere for things that you're passionate about despite setback and challenge. It's being able to sort of pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and hope is the same. It's being able to be optimistic. So when we say hope, we're not saying that you are kind of pie in the sky, you know, head in the sand, not paying attention to things that are negative. But hope means that you have hope that things will work out and that you're willing to take action in that direction. So it's not just the wish that things are going to work out, but also the willingness to take action. Project and task management includes things like organization, time management, decision making, follow through. This is also sometimes referred to as executive functioning, which is actually something that you are developing as a skill. Your brain, the part of your brain that does much of this work is actually developing um, in your early adulthood, in your you know 20s to 26 to 30, depending on who you are and kind of your habits. Um, and so a lot of times people, teens and, teens and 20s, get a lot of flack around this one. But to be fair, this is one of those th- skills that you have to develop and you're developing it right now. It's developmentally appropriate to not be great at this, but that's not an excuse to stay not great. It means you're working on it. So it's a it's appropriate for a two or three-year-old to not be that great at talking, but they're working on it so they can become great at it. And it's the same for you. Um, And then the third is self-advocacy. So self-advocacy includes being able to clearly communicate and set boundaries and express your needs. And I find that especially young adults who are 
pleasers, who are looking outside of themselves for motivation, who have been really reliant on a parent doing most of the advocacy work for them. This is a big shift in early adulthood and it's but it's an important one and I think all three of these are beautifully built in a gap year experience especially because you are going to be doing the the, like any gap year experience is on some level going to expose you to all three Um, if you know if you're working with people in an underserved community if you're working if you're traveling if you are doing service of some type if you are if you are taking courses you know whatever it is that you're doing you're going to have to have all three of these things and these three skills are absolutely essential to success during college because the whole point of college and I think sometimes we forget this is to grow and develop ourselves and to grow and develop ourselves we have to work our edge it means we have to get comfortable with getting uncomfortable we have to kind of get right to that place between boredom and frustration where we're growing where we're kind of learning new things and we're expanding our skills and we're testing ourselves and you really need all three of these skills in place to get comfortable with working your edge or it can be overwhelming and i think you know a gap a good gap year should also work your edge that is so true i mean i think and it's interesting cuz i think that even almost just the decision process for a student to decide to take a gap year kind of lends itself to that grit and hope um, uh, idea as well. Like they're they're taking action on, especially this year, I should say, like they they could kind of see the writing on the wall that maybe their college experience wasn't going to be what they wanted or needed. And they, you know, took the action steps needed to change that future <laughs> for themselves and, and do something different. Um, and it seems like uh, there's so many other opportunities, whether you do kind of a, you know, a program or a supported type of gap year experience or what I call kind of a recipe gapper, um, which is someone who self-designs their year with a with a combination of things that may be um, a little bit more grassroots. So I think that that's, that's so true. Um, what are some other, so if someone is practicing like the, the grit and hope category, what are some other things that they might be doing specifically? And I can also help you with this as like the person who has like the broader knowledge of what you can do in a gap year. But um, what are, do you have any other examples about how someone might practice that skill set um, on their gap year? Sure. Yeah. I have some actual tangible practices, very simple, tangible practices that you can do. So I think like any other skill, like if you're playing piano or riding a bike or trying to run a mile, you know, it takes like little practice every day and it's Mm. the same thing here with all three of these skills and so we'll walk through some things you can do for all of them but to build grit um one thing is to there's an exercise uh i did not originate this i learned this actually from a a colleague of mine her name is sarah porter she actually came on an episode of college head advice where she talks a lot about how to build grit and hope so i would recommend if if you'll allow me julia that that's a really good resource and i can share that with you we can put that in the show notes as well i'll share the link so we can put it in the show notes but she is amazing she is a psychologist who works on a college campus she's got extensive experience working in a health and counseling center with students and she's a professor and she um a lot of these come from her and she recommends doing this best possible self exercise and i love this exercise it's so fun um if you're into this kind of journaling type work but what you do is you journal every day for about two weeks and you envision a future and it's better for that future to be far out so 15 years works well um that it worked out 
So here's the twist. Your future, your future 15 years from now works out as you wanted it to because of your efforts. So we're in a, we're really good about dreaming up like fantastical futures, right? Where like, wouldn't it be awesome if I lived in, you know, whatever kind of fantastic reality. But the thing about this reality is, is this has to be a reality that is born from your hard work. So it has to be kind of within what you're willing to work hard to earn. And what this does is it helps you see how your willingness to persevere and kind of keep at it a little bit at a time can yield results. And so I love that exercise for that reason. Another is to avoid comparison thinking. So, you know, we like to think like the grass is greener over there, right? Um, And this is heightened by social media. So you're scrolling through Instagram or you're looking on TikTok or wherever kids are these days, right? And you're thinking to myself, they're so cool. Their life is so great. Why isn't mine like that? Oh my God, they hung out with someone else and I was left out or whatever it is. And so you have this comparison thinking that's always sort of happening in the back of your mind that actually can make us feel really bad. And we might just have like a low level anxiety that we're not even sure where it's coming from that comes from this comparison thinking. But a good way to kind of twist this on our head to help us build grit and resilience is to think the grass is greener where you water it. And so this is where you place your attention is where you're going to have results. And so the idea here is that you do have some agency or power to move forward your efforts if you pay attention to something. And so if you're just kind of waiting there for things to passively happen to you, they're not going to. And of course, there's going to be things that are unexpected and beyond your control. But at least you are diligently sort of working towards something so that at least you have that to work from. The other thing is acknowledging and noticing past achievements and how you got there. So acknowledging your hard work, acknowledging where you'd have to get support, where you had to learn a skill, I think is really important because sometimes when we reach a goal, we're like, yay, we reached that goal. And then we move on to the next goal and we don't even take a moment to be like, look at how far I've come. And this can be helpful to help you remember that you're just leveling up. So once you reach a goal, you're going to level up to the next goal. And that's going to require you to work a new edge, right? So Mm -hmm. things are are always going to be continually getting more and more challenging. The other is mentoring. And this is a really good tangible activity that you can do, especially during a gap year. But even when you go to a college campus, is mentoring other students on helping them feel gritty and hopeful actually helps you become gritty and hopeful. And surrounding yourself with other people who are gritty and hopeful Hope and grit are, they are research has backed, they are contagious. And so if you are with people who are hopeful, who believe that hard work pays off, that believe that they can grow, they have a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. So that means that they believe that they can get better rather than thinking that they are how they are and this is just who they are and how it's going to be. If you can surround yourself with people who feel hope that things can get better, that you can get better, that you can learn, that you can develop, you can grow, then you will tend to also build those skills. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I love that you can you can practice those things from anywhere. Like you said, whether you're backpacking in Colorado or whether you're home working a job or volunteering, you can you can do all you can really, really work that edge, like you said, in different ways and, and um, anoint new goals for yourself as well. 
Um, what about, so project and task management um, is something that a lot of gap year students have already spent some time working on if they're, if they're going away from home or if they are uh, moving out of their childhood bedrooms or anything like that. I've had students who are planning road trips, who are packing for different expeditions that are doing all sorts of activities that do require that kind of forward thinking, the like, you know, creating um, to-do lists and gear lists and all sorts of other things. Like, what are you, what's your advice for the practicing the, the project and task management side of things? Yeah. And I think those are like, those are fantastic. So sometimes we don't know we're building skills and we think mm. <laughs> we, you know, we think I just like made a to-do list for my trip. What? But that's actually helping you prepare a big project, right? You can take those exact same skills and lead out a student org on your campus one day or lead out a group project or lead out a project at work, right? Those are the same skills. It's the same kind of planning. It's just in a different container, a different category of to-dos. And I, I don't always think we transfer those skills from container to container well. And so I just want to point that out. Like I, I see my role as the person to be like, you see that there that you're doing? That's you're doing it, right? Sometimes we don't know mm -hmm. we're doing it. So you're doing it. And the way that this translates to college is I think one thing that I see students doing is that they rely on their memory to get things done and they maybe they use reminders to help them in that way, but they are not strategic about how long something's going to take, the steps they need to break it down into to get it done, and actually scheduling and reserving time to tackle that task. And I think especially if you're on a gap year, you're starting to be in a world where you have to kind of keep up with a calendar practicing that skill and then actually transferring it to school and academic environment is essential. So my recommendation is if you have tasks that you need to take care of, write them all down, no matter how big or small they are, break big tasks into smaller tasks, and then don't stop there. I think students are really amazing at writing a to-do list, but they are less amazing at scheduling those two tasks into their calendar. And this is where people get messed up. They will schedule the due date in their calendar, but they don't actually reserve time ahead of that due date to get that done. And so life goes by, people invite you to cool, fun things. You want to take a nap, you binge watch Shit's Creek, whatever. And then, oh, you know, oh bleep, it's now due tomorrow. I guess I'm going to have to cram it into these four hours. Oh, I don't understand. Oh, four hours isn't enough. Oh, I need help. Right? And then you're out of time and you don't turn in your best work. And, and I'm all about turning in your best work, not the best work. And so I think if we can get in the habit of not just writing like deadlines and tasks, like deadlines and, and due dates and events in our calendar, but we can actually use our calendar to write like I'm going to write this paper I'm going to take this hour to write this paper and I'm actually going to like, I'm going to get that time, block out that time in my calendar so that it is sacred and that is what I'm doing in that time. It gives us a lot of power over our schedule because then when someone's like, hey, you want to go meet up on a Zoom call if we're still in the COVID world, right? Or whatever, mm -hmm. you can say, uh, yes, can we do it at two? Right. You, you right. get to kind of decide when you give up your time to other people and how you give up your time. But I think what happens is a lot of students don't 
hold that time in their calendar. And then when those more fun, because we're social and we're always going to pick the fun thing over writing our paper, it's not because you suck or you're lazy. It's because you're human. It is that if you have to kind of protect that then, so you're always going to pick that. So if you feel in your mind, like I can do that paper whenever, you're always going to say yes to the fun thing and then you're going to run out of time. So I think getting in the habit of writing things down, scheduling them into your calendar, and then actually following that, like honoring it is important. Keeping your promises and your commitments to yourself. We are amazing at doing that for others, most of us, but we are terrible at doing it for ourselves. And so like not saying, I can write that paper later. I'll go do this with you now. No, no, no. Put yourself as a priority. And I think to setting having boundaries, like setting work hours, setting periods of time that are off, like keeping your time off sacred, taking breaks, getting good sleep, rewarding yourself. Like if you're doing those things, then you're less likely to burn yourself out and just shut down and procrastinate. Like I think some of the reason why we procrastinate is because we haven't built in enough rest time and we have not created enough boundaries in our calendar. And so if you schedule in work times and you schedule in times to do that work, and you're also then scheduling in rest times. And if you can honor those rest times and know that that's when you're going to get to binge watch, whatever it is you want to get to binge watch, you're so much more likely to do the things you need to take care of first and then use that break as a reward. Hmm. Those are those are such good tips. And I and there's one there's a YouTuber actually who a uh, friend of the friend of the podcast. Her name is Beatre. Her handle is at Blissbean, and she's a gap year alum. And she does some really great videos and exercises on productivity, kind of geared towards emerging adult and college age students too. So I'll link that in the show notes as well because she's um, she's on top of that, um, coming from like the peer mindset, which is really cool. Um, so let's talk a little bit about self-advocacy. You know, this is something that, um, again, is very coachable to gap year students. Um, so many ways that you can exercise it. Some things that come to mind for me are, you know, making sure that you're, you know, if you have a commitment um, to a job or an internship or something like that, but you also have conflicts that you communicate with your superior about those. Um, if you're on a gap year program and you're having some interpersonal trouble with a person on your on your trip, you know, making sure that you talk to your leaders about it rather than um, talking to your parents about it, who are going to then circle back to some headquarters program person who's not on the trip. Um, things like that come to mind for me. What about for you, Katie? Exactly. I think the key here is transitioning power from your parent to you. <laughs> mm. um, and the same applies. Like when you get to college, if you feel slighted by a professor and you call your mom and your mom feels like she needs to take action because she's got to protect her baby, then she calls your professor. That's not going to go well for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want that. Your professor is going to be annoyed by that. They don't want that. They, they see you as an adult and they want to communicate with you. And so do your advisors. And so do everyone on a college campus wants to communicate with you. And so a gap year is a really great way to start to make this transition this doesn't have to be an abrupt transition. I know that this transition is not only hard for from the student perspective. I know it's hard for parents, too, to sometimes relinquish control and to come to terms with the fact that their teenager is now an emerging adult. But I think, in, I think taking responsibility for your own business as much as possible, being the person who talks to the stakeholders. And so, like, if that's – if you have – if, if you're – 
facing a challenge on your gap year experience, going to the lead and talking about that. I mean, I think it's okay to talk to your family and friends to get advice and to out loud process and to be sounding boards. But you're, you've got to transition your parents from the action takers to your advisors, right? But then also know that advisors, you like, it's under advisement. You're taking that information. Mm. You may act on it. You may not, right? <laughs> so, right. And I think that that's work that you have to do with your parent and also the parents have to do with you. And so my recommendation, too, is to, you know, the, the more that you can practice communicating as early as possible for on your behalf, like asking questions, scheduling things, you know, scheduling your own doctor's appointments, for example, um, modeling, like observing asking adults, like, how do I phrase that? How do I do that? Taking some ownership over some of this stuff, um, I think it's really important. I think before going and asking your mom to handle it, maybe researching it and, and then check in to see if you're on the right track, I think are all super important ways to advocate. I think to recognizing that it's okay to set boundaries and it's okay to express your needs and it's okay to speak truth. One of the things I've realized a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot during COVID situation, especially because it requires so much communication with your family and friends about what their comfort levels are, different risks, and it's kind of always moving and changing. And so you have to really be in good communication. One of the things that I've learned that I want to share here is that speaking your truth is very important. And I think sometimes we don't speak our truth because we want to be nice. So what I mean by that is like, if you are uncomfortable with someone's behavior, like for example, you really know deep in your heart that you need to wear a mask and you show up with friends and no one's wearing a mask, but you don't want to seem lame, (laughs) but you have asthma and you know, you need to wear a mask. Being brave enough to say, Hey guys, I have asthma and I'm going to need to wear a mask. And I'm going to need you to wear a mask too. And if that's not cool, then we're going to have to be 10 feet apart. And and not having it be an emotionally charged or, mm-hmm. or fueled with judgment, I think for some reason, and I don't know why this is from social media or culture right now, oftentimes these kind of discourses become fueled with conflict and judgment in a way that I don't think they need to be. And mm-hmm. I think it's because we're not good self-advocates. I think if we can just speak our truth in a way that's graceful and courteous and, and neutral but also to speak our truth in and speaking our truth is not saying what other people want to hear. It's saying what we need to say. That's learning how to self advocate. And it's a practice. And even I'm still working on it. I know people much older than me who are still working on it. It's a lifetime practice. But I think what happens when we don't speak our truth is that's when we start to get sort of resentful, right? So if you're yeah. like, you go and you have asthma and you don't want to seem lame and you you really truly want to wear the mask, but you don't speak your truth, then you're thinking like you get anxiety. Like, I don't want to go because I need to wear a mask. What should I do? And, and that's where drama emerges. Right. Or you're like, they're going to judge me and think I'm stupid and lame. So I'm not going to wear the mask. But what happens if I get sick? And and but if you just spoke your truth and they were like, well, OK. I mean, I think most of the time people are like, OK, right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's what you need. And also, it empowers other people. So one thing I've been finding is I just started wearing my mask everywhere because I realized that if people don't, then people don't. But if people do, then some feel empowered too. And so I actually wore it 
um, to friends. It was her birthday, and I delivered a gift, and she answered, and she didn't have a mask on. I have really bad asthma. And I have a history of pneumonia, which is why I'm, you know, this is why this mm. is my example. Um, so I'm very conscientious about it because um, I'm high risk. But but a friend of mine, and I don't look at, I don't look high risk, but I am. And a friend of mine ran in and put her mask on. But if I hadn't put my mask on, she wasn't going to wear a mask. But when I did, she did. And we didn't even have to talk about it. It wasn't even a thing. And then later she actually said to me, oh, my gosh, thank you for just wearing a mask. I want to wear a mask, but it's so awkward, and I don't know what I should do, and and I don't know, you know, and it just empowers people when you speak your truth, either to be who they are, whatever direction, and so I, I think that's a really good place to start. I think that's a place where especially young adults struggle because they mm. don't want to offend people, they don't want to be judged, and they don't want to start. They, they're conflict averse, but I think there's such a beautiful way of just sharing your needs setting boundaries with others that is gracious and empowering for both you and those around you that you can start to practice. Definitely. And one of the great things is that, you know, like when you start your college experience, it will hopefully be, you know, four years straight through with very similar people that you're on campus and learning with and developing a community with. And that can feel a little bit more high pressure than maybe the somewhat more temporary experiences of a gap year. Maybe you're, you know, working a job that you're not going to work at forever or doing a temporary internship or going on a program that's only eight or 12 weeks long or something like that, where like you can experiment with some of these things with, I guess, a little bit less of that kind of perceived risk of like this of the social consequences to advocating but I love the mask example too because I think that that can be transposed onto so many other either um, risk-taking decision-making processes or consent or alcohol use or anything else that kind of fills a student with those kinds of questions about how they're going to advocate for their own truth so that's I think that's a really great um, way of thinking about it yeah it's exactly you will need it can be everything from like, no, yes, I am going to major in history. I love it. And that's what I'm majoring in to no, I am not going to take another drink or no, I am not going to do that with you. You know mm, what I mean? Right. It, it extends to things big and small. And it's such an important, such an important thing, because I think sometimes out of being polite, we put ourselves, we can put ourselves at risk because we're being polite. And also we can not pursue things we truly want to pursue because we're being too polite and we can lose opportunity and time because we go down the wrong path because we're being polite and Mm. this is your one life to live you know this is your one wild and crazy life to quote mary the poet mary oliver and what are you going to do with it and the the way to start getting it to be your life to being intentional and about crafting it as your life is to take ownership of it as your life which means you have to set boundaries and you have to express your needs with those in your life katie that was so good and i'm going to definitely uh link a lot of those tips and tricks in the show notes that people can continue their onward learning and practice of these three main skill sets so thank you so much for being on the pod today and thanks to everyone out there who's listening. You can find find Katie Oliveira on uh, Twitter and Instagram at college, Collegehood Advice. You can find her online at collegehoodadvice.com. Right, Katie? That's your website? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, and you can find us here at Gap Year Radio on Instagram and Facebook at Gap Year Radio or online at gapyearradiopodcast.com. Um, you can email us your Gap Year questions and comments at gapyearradio at gmail.com. And obviously, you can get the show wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you have a moment, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can discover the show. 
Now, Katie, we have a tradition on the show that we ask our guests to sign off in a foreign language or a language other than English, I should say. Any chance you can dust off some of that Dutch for us from your study abroad years? This may be like a high pressure situation, (laughs) but... Um, no, I cannot dust off any Dutch. I learned none. <laughs> but I do live in, a, in an environment with a lot of Spanish, so I can say adios. <laughs> All right. Adios, adios works. Katie, thank you so much for being on the show. Adios and gracias. And uh, we will be talking to you again soon. De nada. <laughs>